As you can see there, we're in this little series called Walking Forward in Faith. This is message two in our uh, six-week series. And what we're doing is we're looking in Hebrews chapter 11 at six of the characters mentioned there. So if you have a Bible, please find your way to Hebrews 11. Hebrews is one of the bigger books towards the back of your Bible. So maybe start from the back, go past Revelation. The next big book you'll find is Hebrews. And chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Some of the verses are going to come up on the screen in this PowerPoint, but not all of them. So it's always good to follow along. Bible's at the back. You can download version or the ESV app or whatever you want. Just uh, It's good to follow along. Um, so we're looking at six of the characters. Not all of them, but six of the names mentioned in Hebrews 11. Uh, they're part of the great cloud of witnesses, as they're called, in Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, Harley was reminding the church at Cantor that this chapter is sometimes called the Hall of Faith. Um, like Hall of Fame, but Hall of Faith, great characters of faith from of old. And uh, we are pondering in these weeks, what does it mean for us to walk forward together in faith? What are some aspects of what that looks like for life in our church? But even in the title of that little sermon series, I'm making uh, certain assumptions. So let me just back up just for a moment. First of all, I am assuming that we are walking forward together. That's why we're doing this series together, that we're not a bunch of disconnected individuals. And one of the things I think is interesting about Hillview at the moment is over the last, I guess, six, nine, 12 months, there's been a lot of change in the church, a lot of new faces around. So we should always be thinking, who are we together as God's people? Yes, we're part of the broader universal church of Jesus Christ, but there is something special about this particular local expression of that body that he's called us to here at Hillview. Contour as, as well. So we're, we're walking forward together in faith, and I'm assuming that we are walking forward, that we are a people on the move, that we are not just to gather together to perpetually rest in the same place, but that there is movement. And I'm suggesting, just by virtue of the fact that we're doing this series, that this should be an important thing for us. That's why we're taking six weeks on it. We wouldn't do it otherwise. It's not an optional thing for God's people, but it's an important part of who we are that we press on, we step forward in what he's calling us to. Now, where am I getting all that from? Well, I'm getting that from what comes after Hebrews 11 and what comes before Hebrews 11. So chapter 11 is this great chapter about living by faith, and then flowing out from that, we get chapter 12, verse 1, therefore... In light of all that you've just read about, these great characters of the faith, God's unfolding story of redemption, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus I had these verses on my screen. There we go. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So we are on the move together. It's tough. It's not easy, but it's important for us. So I get that from what comes after Hebrews 11, but also what comes before. We looked at this last week, that there was a very 
tough context for the recipients of this letter to the Hebrews. It speaks of the persecution they're facing. It speaks of the troubles. And then we get this in the last verse of Hebrews chapter 10, where it says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So we are to have faith, and we need resolve in this. And I I said last week that I would love it if this was almost like a banner that we could fly across this whole series, that we would be not of those who shrink back as Hillview Community Church, but that we would get God's help, and that we would step forward in this journey that He is calling us to. It's not the easy thing, but we're not going to shrink back. We're going to walk or run, as it says in Hebrews 12, forward in faith. Now, a valid question is, what is that journey? If we're called to a journey of walking forward in faith, what are the turns we need to take? When and how do we know what they are? Where are we going in all of that? And how are we going to figure out all of that stuff? It is very unsettling if you don't know where you're going. It doesn't happen so often anymore, at least for us, because Google Maps has solved a lot of those problems. Even when Lindsay and I were in the mountains of Morocco, Google Maps was helping us. Even we didn't have a data signal, but we were still finding some ways. But, but when you, I'm sure all of us can remember or reflect, but when you don't know where you're going, it can be very unsettling. I just have one significant memory of when I got lost. Uh, my dad and I got lost in the totally wrong part of Dublin. And it was when I was little, it was before mobile phones, we didn't know the phone number. Oh no, we did know the phone number of where we were trying to get to, but there was a problem on the line, so it wasn't ringing. The area that we uh, were going to, we'd been told to get on a certain bus, and it took us to completely the wrong part of Dublin. We got off, we had absolutely no idea where we were meant to be, and it was actually quite scary to know how on earth are we going to get back to this this rural suburb of, of Dublin? to my auntie's house. Not a nice feeling at all. If you're on the move, you, you need to know where you're going. You want to know how is this journey going to unfold. But we don't always know as much as we would like to. And that was the case for our character today. We're starting in verse 8 of Hebrews 11. That was the case for Abraham. It's verses 8 to 19 in this, uh, in this chapter, which cover the character Abraham, and one verse next week, uh, which, is, which is all about Sarah. Um, but we're going to look at these verses as we go through, but we're going to start here in Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. That sounds silly, doesn't it? He went out not knowing where he was going. I want to say, Adam, Adam, Abraham, 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 you're not Mick Dundee. Crocodile, anyone know Crocodile Dundee? Harley, you know Crocodile Dundee? Do you have to watch that like once a year in Australia? Is that how it works? You're, you're not McDundee, Abraham. You're not just supposed to go and walk about and figure out where it is you're going, leaving your home for another land without knowing where you're going sounds bizarre, 
unadvisable, foolish, perhaps even reckless. Abraham didn't know the details of the journey he would take. He didn't know the challenges that would come. He didn't know the mistakes that he would make. He didn't know the obstacles that he would encounter, the the opposition that he would encounter along the way. But here's the thing. He knew who was with him. God told him to go. He heard that call, and by faith he obeyed. Abraham didn't know the details of the journey, but he knew the God who was calling him on that journey. He knew the blessings of God. He knew the goodness of God. He knew the promises of God. So, Hillview Community Church, as we this morning think about Abraham, him walking forward in faith, I want us to explore this together, what Abraham didn't know and what he did know. Because I think in this, there are some encouragements for us as a church. So first of all, Abraham didn't know a detailed plan. This is what verse 8 is all about. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, what's interesting is that this is not something that the Genesis account makes of any significance at all. In Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read a few of those verses in just a moment, right near the start of your Bible. God just says, go into this land that I'm going to give you, And then we're not told how this happened or any details of the journey. Just a few verses later, it says they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And then literally the next sentence, it says, when they came to the land of Canaan. So that's 400 miles or so with sheep that Abraham and his family are traveling. Now, if I were to tell you here, friends, God has told me to go to a certain land, and if I were to gather my family and my possessions and set off by foot for, let's say, Liverpool, uh, you would legitimately want to know why there. And I suspect that me saying, well, it's roughly 400 miles away, and obviously it's the promised land, uh, I suspect that wouldn't be sufficient answer for you. Um, You'd want more than that. Abraham didn't know a detailed plan. He just heard God's call and God led him. What's interesting about God's call on our lives is that it often gradually unfolds before us. We can look back on a period of time and we know that God was working in those ways, but when it's happening, you're like, how is, what, where am I going? So almost 10 years ago, um, Lindsay and I started to feel that God was calling my ministry on um, from sold out where I'd been ministering for a few years back to a a local church context in some sort of pastoral ministry role. So between April and December of 2010, we nudged all sorts of doors over those months. We considered options in Canada, in the United States. We pondered whether we should church plant in Garth D or in Tilledrone or in West Hill. Uh, We nudged other doors around Scotland and get this, a job in Oman was even a possibility. 
some of you wishing that I'd ended up there, right? Well, sorry, that's not where I ended up. But here's, here's a little uh, side note on this. What's funny is, you know, before the call to IBC came, the most likely possibility that we spent most time pursuing was a church plan in, guess where? Kintour. We got this close to planting a church in Kintour through this ministry organization from the States. But it was, I could tell you that story. It was fascinating how it all played out. But the, but the point is this. We didn't know where we were going. But God guided us to the promised land. <laughs> God guided us to IBC as it was at the time. And I'd be really comfortable using that language now, that God called us there. God guided us there. And I, and, and I think you could look back at the church plant in Kintour and speak of this in similar terms. That there was, at least initially, no detailed plan that we were following. There was a vision to follow God's heart. There was a vision to see church planting, church multiplication as a sort of key strategy in how we would go about fulfilling the Great Commission to make disciples in this part of the world. There was availability on behalf of the church. There was sort of openness to where God would take us. And then God led us step by step so that now we look back and we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, wasn't that so clear the way God led us? And it was. But it unfolded. Little by little. So, when we ask now and in the coming months, where is God leading us as a church? Let's be open to however God will answer. There will likely not be a detailed plan that we can sign off on ahead of time. Abraham set off with God for God's purposes without even knowing where he was going. He didn't know a detailed plan, but he did know God's promise of blessing was coming. So Hebrews 11, the initial focus of this verse is on the obedience of Abraham. But very quickly we see what was to come his way. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as his inheritance. Now, turn back, if you can, right near to the start of your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 12. Because this aspect of the call that God put before Abraham is, is much clearer in Genesis chapter 12. All we hear in Hebrews 11 is this receiving of an inheritance. But let's read Genesis 12 verses 1 to 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, before he was called Abraham, he was Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The command to go is immediately followed by promises that lay out God's incredible intentions for Abram and indeed for all the peoples of the earth. We're 
we're caught up in Hebrews chapter 12. Go, Abram, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will pour out my kindness on you. I will make you a blessing to others. Those who treat you wrongly, Abram will have to deal with me, God says, and through your family line, all the peoples of the earth will know my blessing. Abram, go. There's no detailed plan, but as you do this, just wait and see how I am going to work to bring blessing in and through you. And Hillview, it is the same with us today. God calls us to walk forward by faith, figuring out the story as we go. We don't always know the details of what it looks like. In fact, I'd say rarely we know the details ahead of time, but we do have some rock solid promises that we can cling to as the story of this little family of faith unfolds. Here's just a few promises that we can hold to. Genesis chapter 12 speaks of the blessing of God. Well, guess what? We can know as we walk forward that we are a blessed people. We know that in Jesus Christ, we have already been blessed with, as it says in Ephesians 1, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So when we th- whatever journey is to come, turns, twists, obstacles, ups and downs, we know it's all in that context that we walk forward with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We know, secondly, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, no matter what struggles we might come across, no persecution we might face along the way, and it may well be coming, no hardship we will face. Just like in Hebrews 10, we are not of those who shrink back. Nothing can separate us from God's love, neither peril, nor famine, nor sword, nor life, nor death itself, nothing at all. We, we can walk forward confident in that hope. We know, thirdly, that Jesus taught us to pray a certain way. He taught us to pray that the Father's kingdom would come and that his will would be done here on earth as it is on heaven. So we should pray like that together. And we know, and what a promise this is, we know that Jesus has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, just a side note about that particular verse, because I don't know whether this is just something that I realized recently. Maybe some of you need to also realize this, but I read that verse very wrongly for almost all of my life. Um, I read it from the point of view that the church should have a defensive posture, that the gates of hell will not prevail. What I heard from that verse was, don't worry, as, as Jesus is building his church, you'll be kept safe. You'll be kept secure. But, but that's not what that verse is saying. I mean, those things are true, but that's not the point of that verse. Think for a minute of what does a gate do? What would it mean for a gate to prevail? That is to say, what would it mean for the gates of hell to be proven stronger than the church itself? Well, A gate doesn't attack anything. 
A gate defends. A gate keeps secure. So when it says the gates of hell won't prevail, it's not saying that you'll be kept safe from the attacks of hell. It's saying that as we advance, as Jesus builds his church, the gates of hell will not be proved stronger than the attacking church, than the advancing church. The gates of hell cannot stand against Jesus' church as he's building it, as we step forward in faith, as Jesus' victory is spreading forth here and around his word, the gates of hell have no power against what Jesus is doing as he is building his church. That is a promise. And it's just the same truth, but differently conceived of. It's no longer, thank you, God, that we're safe. But it's like, God, thank you that you're building your church. As we go from here, thank you that these gates of hell that are before us, they're coming down because we're going in Jesus' name and in his power. It's a promise. It's an awesome promise. And in all of these promises, we know that we can rejoice because we know that we share in the victory that was Jesus Christ's and his alone, he has welcomed us in to that victory. So we walk forward in that context. That is how we walk into the sometimes confusing journey that God has us on. We don't have a detailed plan, but we know God's promise of blessing. Secondly, Abraham didn't know comfort and stability. So the writer of the Hebrews, back to Hebrews 11 if you can, um, he draws a contrast in uh, verse 9 and 10 between Abraham's living situation on the journey and he contrasts that with the destination. It starts with verse 9. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. So he's on this journey and he's living in tents with his family. And he's in a foreign land. We get a little bit more detail on what that felt like in verse 13, where he says they were strangers and exiles in this land. That was Abraham's reality on this journey that God put before him. Now, it's interesting in Genesis 13, we hear that Abraham was actually a very, very wealthy man. His family were a wealthy family. We don't know at what point he accumulated that wealth, but the writer to the Hebrews wants us to know that despite his wealth, the journey towards God's blessing was not one of great comfort or permanence. Not one of great comfort or permanence. And Jesus said similar things about himself. He said the Son of Man doesn't have a place even to lay his own head. When Jesus sent his followers out, he said something similar of them. He said, as they go about their ministry, that they should accept whatever hospitality is offered them along the way. If there's a place of peace, they should go in there. They should accept that offer of hospitality. Stay as long as you can, Jesus said, until you're no longer welcome, and then move on. In the book of Acts, and 
as we read some of the letters in the New Testament, we, we read of similar realities that as the gospel spread, it was through people on the move. It was churches coming together in homes and in different meeting points at different times as the circumstances required. It was journeys that were taken to further God's mission. The point is this, that the mission came first And then around about that, there were surrounding plans that shifted regularly, and they were not always comfortable. The Scriptures don't hide us from the fact that the journey that we have as followers of Jesus is not always a comfortable one. In fact, the Scriptures make it clear again and again. It's not going to be an easy journey. It's not going to be a comfortable journey. And, And for us, as we journey towards our destination as we run the race set before us, our first thought must always be, where is the mission of God leading us? Where are we going? And then how, around about that, we need to answer, how can we make that work? Even if it means living in tents, so to speak, with our brothers and sisters, even if it means that we're going to feel like strangers and exiles, we, we do this knowing that our ultimate destination is secure and it is altogether different from that unsettling, sometimes uncomfortable, sometimes impermanent, unstable journey that we take because Abraham didn't know comfort and stability, but he saw it coming. Verse 9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham saw what was coming. Yes, this is hard just now, but I see There's going to be a time where it's no more journeying, no more passing through, no more living in tents, no more feeling like a foreigner or a stranger. There is a homecoming. There is a final resting place coming. There is a city which is strong and true with strong foundations designed and built by God himself. There is an inheritance coming. No more tents. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This is is what is certain and sure, and this is who we are on the journey who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a strong and certain and beautiful inheritance which is coming. But the journey there is not easy. Life in Jesus' church is an adventure. And those adventures can sometimes feel unsettling, a little crazy, difficult. We, we, we move here, we, we 
pitch a tent over there. No, it's not that place God's calling us to. It's, it's this place over here. There's, there's enemies coming at us from this direction. There's obstacles over there. The details of the route need adapting all the time. And as we journey, we're in foreign territory, just as we are now. The sickness that you're facing this morning, the division the strife, the lack of faith that you're struggling with, the disappointment that you've known, the struggle with sin that you are encountering, every challenge that we face is a sign that we're still traveling in enemy territory. The victory is won, but the battle's not over yet. The destination is certain and secure, but the journey is not over yet. So as we journey forward, tents are the best thing. Let's not get too static as we move. Let's not make it too difficult for us to walk forward. Let's not put our roots down too deeply. We are on the move. We sit here in this beautiful building. We're so blessed, right? But may this building not be that which would let us become too comfortable, too secure, too static. We're moving forward in in tents. This is just a tent. One day it'll be tents no more. There is a mansion that's being prepared. There is a city that's coming. One day we will rest and strive no more. Let's walk forward to that place. Thirdly, on earth, Abraham didn't yet fully receive what was promised. Verse 13 is brutal. I'm going I'm to put it up from the NIV because I think the ESV is just a little clunky um, to read. But Hebrews 11:13 says this, all these people, that is Abraham and his descendants, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. It was the land of promise that Abraham was called to. He was called there to receive an inheritance. But while God blessed him in many ways, he died a long way from the end of the story. There were many trials and difficulties that would face Abraham's people over the coming decades and generations. And again, this is a reality that we can acknowledge ourselves, that many of Jesus' followers have faced those who have sought faithfully day by day to live for Jesus, but have left this earth wondering what fruit, if any, has there been from a life of faith? I don't know if you ever feel like that. I'm sure there are those among us who sometimes feel, I've, I've sought to honor you, God. What do I have to show for it? There are so many, even among our number, whose lives are surrounded by turmoil and loss and difficulty and ruin that it might be tempting 
on the journey to look back as the people of Israel did when they were released from, from slavery in Egypt. They looked back because there were a few near-term comforts that they wanted. It, was, it felt like they would be more satisfying than the destination that God was leading his people on. But Abraham, he didn't fully receive what was promised, but he kept looking home to heaven. Look at verse 14. For people who speak thus, people who speak like this, this acknowledge this reality of, of, of uh, sorry, let's go from verse 13. They died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Acknowledging that we're not there yet doesn't need to call into question the journey that we're on. Acknowledging that we're not there yet doesn't call into question the journey we're on. It just underlines the significance and the importance of the destination. Don't look back. Don't look back. As difficult as the journey can be, don't look back. Verse 15, if they'd been thinking of where they'd have come from, they would have opportunity to go back. But verse 16, they desire a better country. There is a better reality coming than that which you are facing just now. For every single one of us here, God will come through on his promises. Yes, he will. As I was prepping this exact point on Friday, into my study came a couple in our church who have received some very bad news. They received that bad news that very day. They've been on this journey with God through many difficult ups and downs and confusing turns along the way. How easy it would have been for them to look back. Just go, whatever for this future destination. I don't see that. What I see is that a lot of stuff made sense before when I didn't have to believe that there was this God who was leading me forward. Where are these blessings? Where is this promise? I don't feel that just now. There are some other things I can hold on to that are secure. But this couple were trusting in God's promises, falling back into the strong and sure arms of their Father in heaven, desiring a better future, a heavenly one, looking not just to any God, but to know, as it says in verse 16, this God who will be called their God. For he's prepared for them a city. If you feel the promises of God are far off, keep looking home to heaven. Lastly, Abraham didn't have a lot to offer. Verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. (laughs) That's harsh, isn't it? What a lovely way to be described. That Abraham was as good as dead. Like the church in Scotland, right? 
Isn't that what we keep hearing? That the church is as good as dead. It's a generation or two away from disappearing in Scotland. Now, there are sobering realities that we need to face head on. But don't believe that the church of Jesus Christ is old news. Don't believe that the story is over of what God is doing in this part of the world and in his world in general. Verse 12, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Abraham didn't have a lot to offer, but through him, God worked miracles. We've got nothing to offer. In and of ourselves, you and I, we are basically as good as dead. But we have an amazing God who has made us alive, who has an amazing plan. So if we can just come with the heart of Abraham and offer everything we have, God will do amazing things. God will work miracles. Look at verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, his son. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. As we come, we offer everything we have, and God from that offering can bring amazing life. We, we just need to look at the life of Jesus. Isaac was not offered up in the end. God honored Abraham's obedience and provided a different sacrifice. But one day, through the obedience of God's own son, a final perfect sacrifice would be offered through which all of these promises of blessing would come to pass. Romans 5 verse 19 says, by the one man's obedience, that is by Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. Many will be able to stand confidently before God. Dear friends, this is our God. We in ourselves have nothing to offer. We're as good as dead. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, God works miracles, bringing us to life in Christ, bringing us into his story where we can walk forward in faith, praying for miracles to come, praying that, that we would see some of what God is doing in bringing into existence descendants who are as numerous as the stars in the sky and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the, by the seashore. We're walking forward in faith. We don't always know the details of the journey, but we know the God who calls us. We know how the story ends. So we walk forward with this God. When I was lost in Dublin, nothing seemed clear, nothing seemed easy. There was no obvious next step. But I knew I was safe because I was with my dad. I knew that he had a good plan 
for me. I was sure that the story would have a happy ending. Now, it might not have, but it always does with our Heavenly Father. Always. My dad is weak. My Heavenly Father is strong. My dad's plans are stumbling and unsure. My Heavenly Father's plans are perfect. May we walk forward in faith, sure of God's blessing, sure of a final home, strong and sure, always looking there, even when it feels that his promises are far off, sure that he can and that he will work miracles to bring about his great plan. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are building your church. You are bringing your kingdom. You are bringing to life those who are dead. You are bringing hope and a bright future to those who are in despair. You are leading us forward. We are your people. I thank you that even when we don't know what's next, in the journey before us, we can walk forward confidently, trusting in you, our perfect God, who has a perfect love and a perfect plan. May we trust you more and more, I pray. As we were thinking about last week, give us eyes to see, maybe even just that next little step that we have to take. Help us trust you and walk forward with you holding on to us, leading us on. I pray these things through Jesus Christ, through the life which is ours because of his victory on the cross. And I pray it for his sake, for his glory. Give us big dreams for his glory, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.